Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And we're going to go slightly off format today. This is just going to feature my conversation with Rain Wilson. His fans know all about him and his portfolio. And, of course, in fact, uh, he's in, in a recent uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, do I call it a miniseries? We'll find out. Uh, and it's on a subject. Depends on if it has a season two. If it has only season one, it's a, <laughs> it's a miniseries. <laughs> Rain Wilson, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you. Uh, so um, this one, I'm calling this my co- cosmic crib because we're just you and I are just chilling. Normally, I have like a co-host and experts and all that. It's just you and I having a conversation, reaching for our geek. No, roots. I love it. That's awesome. That's Let's what, do this. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, you're best known, and do you hate it when people say he's best known for? Do you hate that when no, people do that? Oh no, come on! I mean, uh, it's just uh, true. I'm best known for playing Dwight Schrute, and uh, it's just true in the Office. And and how many seasons did that go? That, that was like nine seasons, ten seasons. That's crazy. Every time I turn on, there's the Office. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is. so I just want to just congratulations for. Being a fixture in that show, and uh, in, in the Geekiverse, you are, you are deeply loved, and especially most recently, um, you have a, a show that dropped, uh, and it's called Utopia, That's in right. which you play a virologist. Yes. Oh, that so we'll have to get to the bottom of that. Yep. And also, you've got a, a podcast of your own. Um, yep. Soul Pancake. You yep. said, will, yep. will, will yep. I ever be on Soul Pancake? Probably <laughs> not. Probably not. You wouldn't make the cut. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. um, you're not legit enough. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a podcast called Metaphysical Milkshake. Uh, I did uh, with Reza Aslan. Um, the, the, oh, so Soul Pancake is your production. And Soul Pancake. It's, but it's Soul Pancake is the company that I co-founded. It's, um, it's a digital media company. So it's Soul Pancake presents Metaphysical Milkshake. They're very much a part of it. It's, it's kind of in the whole Soul Pancake vibe, which is about exploring life's big questions and making uplifting content and bringing people together. And, and our podcast is, is in sync with that. Does that, work today because no one wants uplifting <laughs> content they thrive on conflict and tribalism so so h- how's that working out <laughs> well um yes how is that working out you know there is you're a, not following the facebook model there is there is a large percentage of the population that is looking for uplifting content and unifying content and something that contains hope and uh and joy even um and, you know, I just look at, I mean, you, you saw the documentary, The Social Dilemma, yes? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so Very interesting. I mean, it went, got, got right to the heart of the problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I knew a lot of the stuff that was in it before. A lot of people watch it and are like, well, I knew all that. It's like, well, yeah, I knew it, but it, it wasn't put together in a, in, in a, the puzzle pieces weren't put together in, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in, in such a, um, in a coherent way. Coherent way. And, and you see that so much of the division going on in the world right now is, is this Facebook model. Um, if, if they can get you outraged, they get you clicking buttons more and they get more ads and they make more money. So, uh, outrage and division fuels commerce. So we're, 
a digital media company, yes, we would like people to watch our videos, but we're trying to combat this by bringing people together and using the best aspects of the web and of YouTube and uh, digital content. That, that is so noble. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of you, and I hope it succeeds by greater than all measures because then others would then emulate it, and then it would maybe be this force of attraction uh, away yeah. from all yeah. that is that continues to divide us. And what's this in that same uh, production company, An Idiot's Guide to Climate Change? Oh, yes. So you're, you're into that, too. You'll, you, dig, you, you'll dig this. Do I, I keep wanting to say Dr. Tyson. No, no, you, it's, it's Dr. Neil to you. <laughs> just, just Neil, just Neil, please. I know, but I keep wanting to say Dr. Tyson. Why is that? You command such um, respect. I never want to call anyone a doctor. Even my own doctor I call Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it is fascinating. Many people call me that, and I never I don't introduce myself that yeah, way. Yeah. And when I give public talks, I say, "Here's doctor." No, I don't. But so so I have to receive it as a as an as a an unsolicited honorific. Yes. Okay. And, good. And I'm, good. It warm, I'm warmed by it, but still, it's it's not necessary. Yeah. Um. Well. Okay, Neil. All right, Neil. <laughs> Shut the f- up. Here's, here's what we're do. um. So, you know, you would dig this show, uh, An Idiot's Guide to Climate Change. Here's what we did. I, I, was, I got involved with this nonprofit called Arctic Base Camp that basically explores the science of how climate change is affecting the Arctic and tries to really impart that information to movers and shakers. Because as you know, in the world of climate change, what's happening in the Arctic is far more extreme than what's happening even in California. I mean— Yeah, in fact, when they say we're warming the Earth by one or two degrees, that— that's the average. The Arctic gets a much bigger hit from that. Exactly, almost uh, double what the, we're feeling in North America. Almost right double. Now. That's so. Right. Uh, I got invited to take a trip with them to Iceland and Greenland and meet some scientists that were working up there. And so we didn't really have a budget for Soul Pancake. It's a you know, it's a smallish company. So, but on like a sixty thousand dollar budget, we were able to kind of pull together. I kind of documented myself on this trip up to Greenland, and we made it a six part series. Greta Thunberg is on the series, and the whole point of it was like, listen, there's a lot of people that believe in the science of climate change. Of course, as you always say, you don't believe in science. Science just right, is. right, of course. But, but wait, 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 just put, wait, back up for a second. You can't just call up American Airlines and say. Uh, book me a trip to to Greenland. Like, how how did you? What was the the path that you took? So yeah, so getting to Greenland was uh, was a bitch. We had to. Did someone invite you to Greenland? Yeah, was this, there, the uh, the scientist, Dr. Gail Whiteman, who's the founder of Arctic Base Camp, and there were a bunch of other scientists that were working up there. And she was like, we were going to do a bunch of events, and she was like, Rain, I'm going up there to meet with these scientists. You should come along and just see firsthand what's going on. And okay, cool. we'll document it and you can mm-hmm. make it into this little series. And then you can also kind of, as you know, you can speak to science much more when you've kind of like lived it and gone through it. So the point of the show, though, Neil, was that there's a lot of people that buy the science. There's a lot of people that don't buy the science and think it's kind of a crazy liberal conspiracy. But there are some people in the middle. There are some young people in the middle that are kind of getting it from both sides that you know, maybe they've got a crazy right-wing uncle that doesn't buy the Yeah, science. at Thanksgiving. It all happens at Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving we, dinner we table. <laughs> exactly. And, but maybe their friends at school are climate activists and, you know, or something like that. So 
or do fire drill Fridays with Jane Fonda or something. So they don't know what to think. So I tried to make it like I'm the doofus, I'm the idiot um, going, who doesn't know anything about climate change, wants to learn something that's going on this this trek. So it's fun. I try and use humor. It's it's kind of, you know, off-putting. And um, uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. We had uh, Greta Thunberg was on it, and, and we had a blast. Excellent. Did you glean any tactics, any tools or the tools of communication from that trip? You know, that's a great question. I didn't. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. You know, just... I'm... <laughs> Where will I go? What will I do? I'm sorry, I'm despairing <laughs> in front of I thought you right said now. you were hopeful, dude. <laughs> I thought you said. Um, I do think that we just need to keep fighting the good fight and try and, and really work with young people. Um, you know, people over 40 or 50, they got their minds made up. You know, they're never going to change their minds. So, um, yeah, it does seem to be demographically split that way. That, that's a fascinating fact. And yeah. so, that, therefore, the younger demographic, that they're tactically different. If you're trying to get yeah. some of them off the fence versus, you're right, the exactly. old ossified so try and reach folks. some of the young people. And, and we can make a difference. If we make extreme changes right now throughout the world, we can m- meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. It's going to be really, really hard, but we can do it, and we just have to keep believing. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Okay. Well, that, that's helpful. And do you think, uh, so <laughs> I'm just wondering if there should be tourist jaunts to Greenland to, so they can see. That might help. Because I always think, what I think the flat earthers are a conspiracy just so that they're the first ones to go into space. Because that's where we're going to want to send them. So they can see the round <laughs> earth firsthand. So they get a free, just send them on, get, just do you that now. So you don't even need to go to space. You can just fly, <laughs> you can fly to Europe and you're up so high, like the sun's rising, you see the curve of the earth. It's oh, not. So here, no, okay. here's what you do. You send them up into space and say, you have to confess Earth is round, otherwise we're not bringing you back. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I would that, not that, suggest bringing people to Greenland, mostly because the carbon footprint is so big. And I talk about that in the series, but just flying to Greenland, it's so much gas and taxis and whatnot. I mean, the only way to do it is if you're going to, like, I'm going to plant a, a freaking forest when I'm done flying to Greenland. But mm, um, Just to and, make up for it. And, it, and, and Greta's, quite, Greta's quite the ambassador. She was she on the same trip with you or did come in a, go in another time? No, uh, this guy who's on our board, Callum Greaves, works with her and her organization. So he was able to kind of patch her in and we did it. We shot remotely with her. She didn't go on the trip, but she's okay. a firebrand, man. It's, it's remarkable yeah, what excellent. she's done. Really good. Yeah. Doing that right. So, so now you've, you, you have a show that just dropped like days ago from the, from yes. the moment of this recording. And I already know people who have binged the entire series. And yeah. I said, damn. <laughs> so, I, so I confess, I just read some of the reviews. I haven't seen any of them yet. Okay. But I just like the fact that you're a virologist. But it, it, in Utopia, it is curiously, weirdly synchronized some overlap with our current... A pandemic. So yeah. what's up with that? Um, it's pretty crazy, man. I mean, this is based on a British show. Utopia was on the BBC a long time ago, like 10 years ago. As was The Office. Uh, thank based you. Based on a British show. Yes. Okay. And in fact, we're right. fighting that same battle. There are these mm-hmm. hardcore fanboys of the British original Ooh. series who are like, the American series sucks. It's going to fail. It's terrible. <laughs> and um, how did that work? It always makes more money in America than in England. But so, I, don't, I don't get that yeah. argument because 
no one's taking away that TV show. Like no one, Mm -hmm. when we made the American office, we didn't take all copies of the British office and like burn them. Like no one can watch them. (laughs) Like you can watch them over and over and over again. Plus it's an American office show in an American office, right? It's not Americans in a British location, right? Exactly. But utopia is the same thing. thing. So, and it's been being developed for years. Gillian Flynn was a showrunner and creator of our version. And um, it's all about conspiracy theories. But the parallels are creepy. So, so yeah. give, give me a, give me a, like a, you know, three sentence overview. Uh, a, a group of comic book geeks discover a graphic novel that contains the keys to the destruction of humanity, which includes uh, crazy viruses and a, and a supervillain named Mr. Rabbit. Okay, that's how it begins. <laughs> How's that? And then it takes off from there. And then it, it's all it's all downhill. Yeah, it's so it's conspiracy theory thriller with some science fiction and um, and drama and really dark uh, sense of humor. I call it Stranger Things meets Quentin Tarantino. Oh, oh, so it's got some blood. Yeah, blood and it has. It, it has. Yeah, human heads being smashed. Okay, so tell me, tell me about the virus. What's the virus up to in this story? Yeah, tell so me. in this story, there, my I play a virologist, Dr. Michael Stearns, who discovered a really obscure virus in the Andes Mountains in Peru that killed a couple hundred members of the Peruvian military. And so I studied it, and I created a, a super vaccine that not only inoculates it but cures the disease. Now, now let me guess. Uh, you're a scientist, you call this to people's attention, and no one listens to you. <laughs> no one listens. No one cares. Me, I'm, just, I'm just spitballing there. Yep, yep. Let me just... <laughs> exactly. So All then right. I'm... So I'm just relegated to kind of researching this virus in the basement of my college in Chicago. I'm a small potatoes guy. And then there happens to be this huge pandemic sweeping America... And the parallels between my virus and this one are very stunning. And so it does turn out that my virus is the virus that is killing hundreds or thousands in America. So all of a sudden I get thrust into the spotlight and I become this very, very unlikely hero. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, it's good to have a scientist as a hero, even if it's in a, a, a gory, weird Storytelling. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Usually, the scientist gets long forgotten after you pass them by in the beginning of this of a storytelling. So I'm happy to to learn of this. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the is there does it also address social cultural things like fear vaccines and this sort of thing? Yes, yes, it does. And and it, it was amazing. So we shot this thing. We finished this thing in September. The virus, the Wuhan virus, started in December. The pandemic was in February or March, and um, we were texting each other like January, February, March, like, what is happening here? Is our show (laughs) coming true? This is nuts. (laughs) Because not only is it the virus, but there's a whole segment of the show that's about the vaccines, the production of vaccines, rushing the vaccine to market. How are we going to get this vaccine out? Um, Who should take it? Well, what it means is, you have a really effective PR firm. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, I guess that's it. But uh, Yeah, they, so they started the Wuhan virus. Yes, yes. You're a PR I firm. Think I, I'm <laughs> waiting for, because this is an Amazon show, I'm waiting for the conspiracy theory that Jeff Bezos started the virus in order to promote Utopia on Amazon Prime. 
Right. And, and with everyone, with the virus, no one is going out, so everyone needs their stuff shipped. So that's the Amazon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the only one. You know, he'll he'll be a trillionaire by the time this is yeah, over. He, he almost is. So Rain, we got to we got to take a quick break. But when yeah. we come back, uh, more with Rain Wilson, uh, one of our uh, patron uh, geek saints out there. Yes. And we're going to take questions from our own fan base, specifically our Patreon patrons. When Star Talk returns. We're back, Star Talk, a Cosmic Crib edition, where we're I'm in conversation with Rain Wilson, who's an actor and I just learned a climate activist. Yeah. And can I call you that, Rain? Sure. A climate activist? Why not? I'll take yeah, it. You'll you'll take it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so right now in this portion, we we've solicited questions from our fan base. And we're going to lead off with uh, Patreon members. These are the folks who who actively support our podcast. So uh, we got a question right here for you, Rain. All right. So when reading and memorizing scripts for a science-heavy show like Utopia, how much of what you need and learn sticks with you and furthers your understanding of science in general? Also, just wondering, what was your favorite comic book character? Ah, nice. Okay, good. Getting. Don't you answer that first, because that's presumably a fast, fast question. Um, Favorite comic book character. So here's the deal with me and comic books. So I was a huge comic book nerd as a child, and then around eleven or twelve, I discovered these things, Neil, called books. They don't have pictures in them. There's no pictures. There's just Mm. stories. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just giving him, I'm giving him shit. I, uh, I switched <laughs> over to science fiction, but I have in the other room of our house, I have my 1970s and 1980s science fiction book collections, like 400 books that I Whoa. read when I was a teenager. Whoa. So Dungeons and Dragons and science fiction books were how I lived my teenage years. Uh, but, uh, favorite, ultimately favorite comic book character, um, I loved Superman at first and then Green Lantern because I figured out that Green Lantern could kick Superman's butt uh, by just making a kryptonite shell around him. But then I always was, I really loved Thor because I I loved mythology and I loved the way that it blended kind of Norse myths and mythological characters with superheroes. So I I was really big into into Thor. Excellent. So if you're first into Superman and later into Thor, those are the two authentic alien superheroes. They come from other planets. That's true. Just to put that in context, in That's case you've never thought about that. I hadn't really that. even uh, thought about that. I guess because yeah, I've always well, felt like an alien myself, kind of in my own <laughs> So there you have it. Okay, so now tell me, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I actually claim cameo appearances in five feature-length films, but that doesn't make me an actor. And if I'm playing myself, I don't really have to prepare for it. So as an actor. What is the relationship between preparing for a role where that role has expertise mm. and and what might be real expertise that you'd glean along the way? I mean, this that's is, this question that was just asked. Yeah, this yeah. is a great it's a great question, and I get asked this one a lot. Um, I fortunately, you know, I spent years playing a paper salesman, and I didn't have to do a whole lot of research <laughs> about. Did, did you train for that? I, yeah, and, and a beet farmer. I didn't like research like beet growing harvest yields and. And irrigation <laughs> techniques for the sugar beet. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, for for but this, imagine how much better you would have been know, had you done. So. I know. I'm kicking myself right now. But I'm. I will be. I'll be brutally honest. So I play a virologist, and I didn't do any research on what a virologist does or learns or anything like that. I'm sorry. I apologize, science nerds. Oh. Um, mm. But mm. because in this case. And I would, if I was in, if it if it really was about the science, like if this was a show where I was in the lab a lot and doing work and talking about concepts of viruses and stuff. But I start in the lab and I'm immediately like episode two, just like launched out into the world, and uh, I don't really deal with the science of it so much. So I knew it wouldn't really help my performance or my kind of authenticity to kind of dive into the research. Uh, is that because it's scripted in a way where you are more than just a scientist, you're a whole person who's interacting with a, a social ecology that's out there? Yeah. Because, for example, there. so I, I forgot which show it was. It was one of these doctor shows, and there's Lawrence Fishburne as the uh, the medical examiner performing autopsies, right? Mm. So they don't put him out in the field too much. You know, when you go down into the bowels of the uh, of the... Uh, where they store the bodies, he's there. And so his lines have to come out convincingly mm -hmm. to what might be an audience who has fluency in the analysis of dead bodies. Mm. So presumably some of your lines have to be sort of medically authentic mm. when you deliver them. Well, in this case, and in this case, there was really only a handful. Like I'm talking three or four lines over the entire series that needed to kind of sound um, medically and uh, scientifically authentic. When you're okay. doing a TV show and you're in the milieu and you're playing a doctor or a surgeon or a specialist or something like that, you're coming back time and time again, you know, like Dr. House or something like that. You really yeah, might yeah. need to learn some more about medicine to be able to every single episode be diving into some kind of disease. Right, and be authentic and authentically deliver the lines. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, that's got to... Yeah. It's got to at least sound convincing to some experts, and especially in the geekiverse, you'll be held to that. That's true. You know, we got people <clears throat> who are experts or no experts, or mm -hmm. or and you know I'm a big, well I, I, I'm known. Yeah, you do this in the movies all the time. You, I remember I watched your live. I literally followed your live Twitter feed of um, was it Gravity? I think it was yeah, Gravity. Gravity. Uh, like everything that was right and most things that were wrong, but uh, it, was, uh, it was great. Yeah, it was. It was, it was mysteries of gravity. That's what that was. The, that was the hashtag yeah. I created for it. Um, but I try to give some latitude to the creative arts. So people think I'm just a total, you know, nasty person to ever see a movie with. But I, I think I'm just misunderstood oh. in my intent. Oh. <laughs> yeah, thank you. For you need a hug. If this weren't COVID, I, I, I would give you a hug. I just need an <laughs> air hug. We can give an air okay. hug. Yeah. So um, let's get another question from uh, one of our uh, Patreon members. And Oh, sorry. I didn't give the name of that. That first person uh, was uh, Robert Stanley. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Robert. So, uh, and the next one is uh, Chris Hampton. And uh, these are clearly your fans. Are, hey, Rain. That's where I have another house, Chris Hampton. <laughs> Chris Hampton. <laughs> that's east of West Hampton, yes. right? Right. Uh, it's like, hey, Rain. So these are like total fan fan folks out there. Huge fan. Uh, do you ever get into deep conversations about the universe with the other actors on set? If so, who have you had the best conversations with? 
Oh, that's fantastic. So, so let's broaden that to just your, you know, not only Utopia, but sure. also The Office. So how about that? Yeah, that's great. Um, in, in the downtime, in downtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah you- sure we do. You know, there's a lot of downtime when you're on the set. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of like really deep uh, conversations. I The one that just popped into my mind uh, immediately was I did a long time ago now, it's about 15 years ago, I did a role in this action uh, adventure comedy with Matthew McConaughey called Sahara. And Oh, I, I missed that. Yeah, okay. it's it's a big silly romp through Morocco and explosions and camels and hidden treasure and stuff like <laughs> explosions that. Explosions and so, camels. So, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's the whole move. Explosions, camels, hidden treasure. There's, there a, there's a little <laughs> bit more to it than that. But um, And I played a science geeky nerd in that one. But uh, I remember uh, talking to Penelope Cruz and I was just blown away by how smart she was and how uh, I mean, first of all, she's like the most beautiful woman on planet Earth. So it was a little bit, my jaw was kind of dropped. But she's, you know, she speaks five languages. She runs all these orphanages. She has got university degrees. She's very well read. She's had- You a- can only know that in the downtime. Yeah. Now that I think about it, exactly. that's how you know that. Yeah, just sipping on a coffee, eating on, right. on a sandwich. And um, we just had some, uh, we didn't have a bunch, but I just remember this one conversation where we were talking about- you know, world peace and how to achieve it and working together and different cultures coming together and some big concepts. And I was just su- super impressed with her. I like that. So I, I did not know that about Penelope Cruz. Yeah. But very, very, very good Genius. Supermodel genius, I have a, basically. <laughs> I have a very opposite experience that I once had. Okay. Um, uh, I was filming, again, in a cameo role, mm-hmm. and we're between takes. So, so I'm sitting in my... You know, in the in the in the chair, you know, the, the, the director's chair. But of course, I'm not the director. I'm just, <laughs> but that's what they're called, the, the director's chair. Sure. And there's someone else. One of the other act- actors is there. And so, so there's some new photo from the Hubble telescope that had just arrived. Mm. And I just, I'm excited. I'm, I'm an astrophysicist. I say, oh, have you seen this photo? There's stars being born in the middle of this gas. And just, oh, okay. And then went back to reading. People magazine. Oh, goodness. And this is a person who was playing a medical doctor. And I was just so, you know, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm naive to assume that an actor is the thing that they're acting. Right. The fact that they're so good at what they're portraying, making me think that they know this stuff, that's why they're a good actor. Yeah. Okay. So I, I it's, I, I, so I'm so torn by this reality that right. um, an actor can be completely ignorant about everything in the world and all that matters is they deliver those lines. And so at the yeah, end of the day, yeah. actors are idiots. So <laughs> you said it. You said it best. No. <laughs> actors are just idiots. That one, Dr. Just Neil that deGrasse one, Tyson. Well, well I'll, I'll say something else here. Okay. Just to just to dig myself out of the hole that, that, <laughs> that you I just dug threw me in, yeah. even though I dug the hole. Okay. So um I remembered the in a scene she was in where she delivered a line and the director said, No, you need the line to be uh, this is a person you remember from the past, and you had good memories then, but then you had later bad memories, so you have conflicted emotions. Go. And out came three lines from her. It was like, yes, it's all there. Yeah. In the in the body, in the eyes, and the and the and the gestures. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I said, damn, damn, yeah. that's good. Yeah. And so I asked her in in the in the break, I said, Well, so how long have you been acting? 
He said, well, yeah, it depends on when you want to start counting, but um, since I was six, <laughs> I was like, wow. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 if, so if you ask me, how long have you been thinking about the universe? It's like, since I was nine, right? Mm-hmm. I, can, I got that. I, and I'm, I'm totally, I'm all in in the universe. Yeah. And yeah. So, so, and she was all in with the actor. No, I appreciate and, and that. So, There's a, people don't, it, a great actor makes it look so easy and effortless. I always use Brad Pitt as the example. Like, it's just like, Everyone watches a Brad Pitt performance. You're like, I could do that. If I was that good looking, I could do that. I mean, he just is standing there the same time. <laughs> oh, that's the, that's the only thing yeah. separating. If I had the, won the genetic lottery like he had, I could do it. But Brad Pitt is an, a phenomenal actor. I mean, transformative, yeah. subtle, precise, emotional. Like, his, I'm astounded at his the intelligence of his performances, all of them. So it's really complicated. And, you you know, you spend your whole life making it look really easy. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. and it's And you not- hope someone notices and then you get the next gig. Yeah. Let's do one more question before yeah. we take, take, the, take the next break. So uh, this is Violetta, a 12-year-old astro nerd in Birmingham, Alabama. And my mom, Izzy... Is also a nerd. <laughs> nerd, nerd, nerd soup here. Okay, we want to know: uh, Do you consider yourself a nerd? And if so, what level of nerd are you? And what's the nerdiest thing you've ever done? Thanks. Love you guys. I love. Okay, this we question. only have a couple of minutes, so let's, we need a fast answer here. Okay, but I love this question. I have a chess clock over my right shoulder. That should prove Bam. it to you. I used to be. I used to play competitive chess, and I was on the chess team, and we would drive around competing in chess. And once I went to a chess tournament, and I saw a guy who had mold growing in his ear. That's. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. That's how nerdy I am. Okay. Uh, okay. You didn't have the mold, but someone next to you did. They did. It means you're hanging out with that. I crowd. was hanging out with the crowd with a guy who had mold in his ear. That's how nerdy I am. Boom. Okay. There we go. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to answer this too. So I, I'm a nerd from way back. I went to the Bronx High School of Science, mm-hmm. but I was kind of a nerd jock. So, you know, the whole the whole spectrum of tribalizing that goes on in high school, mm. we have the jocks and the nerds. Um, in the Bronx High School of Science, everybody's a nerd. So, so it's, it's the nerd spectrum has shifted. The, the whole high school spectrum is shifted in the nerd direction. Mm-hmm. So everybody is a nerd. I was just a nerd jock. Then you had the nerd, the nerd nerds. Okay, they were like extra. So, so for me, uh, what's the nerdiest thing I did? I once wrote down every single number that had any significance that I knew at that moment. Ah. So, so it was a whole sheet. So it was like all the digits of pi that I knew. I also happen to know the fifth root of 100 to 12 decimal places, but that's another story. Um, uh, every phone number that I knew, including their area code, so these are 10-digit numbers. Uh, <laughs> other, other numbers. And I just wrote that, and I said, how many numbers could possibly be in my head that are just there for random access? Yeah. And I filled an entire sheet, and each number has had meaning in my life. And I thought that was kind of a geeky thing to do. That, that takes the cake. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's remarkable. I just thought maybe that was kind of geeky. Although I do have notebooks uh, filled with my... Uh, God, where, I, I wish I could just grab one right now. I've got notebooks filled with the drawings I did of my Dungeons & Dragons characters. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah that's good. So There you go. Okay, Izzy, 
Mom Izzy and Violetta, where we are on that scale. Um, and just briefly, however nerdy you think you are, there are people who are way more nerdy than you are. True. And when I finally calculated the mass of Thor's hammer, um, someone corrected my calculation to say, the actual mass of Thor's hammer. Oh, my God. <laughs> my, my calculation was as geeky a thing as I've ever done with a superhero universe, and, and that is the Marvel universe, of course. And then someone out-geeked me who was a, 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 a material science engineer who worked for the Navy, who had all kinds of superhero paraphernalia in his office, and he, he showed me the errors of my calculations. Oh, man. So, and was he right? Yeah, I had to I had to concede. <laughs> wow, good. Well, good for you that you had the humility to say, you know what? Yeah, you got yeah, me I had on to, that. Uh, you got me. Yeah, so so it turns out um I calculated that his hammer weighed the equivalent of a herd of 300 billion elephants. And I had authentic ways to calculate that. He said, "No, it's actually made of a fictional substance called ulu and it weighs exactly 42.3 pounds." And my answer was so much better than that. <laughs> so, but I had to concede. I concede. And All then right. one of my fans said, no, Neil, Neil, um, they didn't say on what planet it weighs 42.3 pounds. Because <laughs> ah. you weigh different amounts on different planets. Sure, sure. But anyhow, uh, we got to take a break. And we, when we come back, Rain, if you have questions for me, that'll be the chance to ask them. Great. When Star Talk returns. Hey, it's time to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Jennifer Sell Knapp and Chris Reynolds. Guys, thank you so much. Without you, we couldn't do this show. And for anyone else listening who would like their very own Patreon shout-out, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. We're back. Star Talk Cosmic Career. Welcome to it. And in my cosmic crib, I got Rain Wilson. Rain, been a delight in conversation with you the first time we've met. And uh, and I'm also, I, I feel good that we've uh, exposed your geek underbelly. Yes. It's actually not your underbelly. It's all around you. <laughs> it's my literal it's belly. A, yes. It's your literal belly, mm-hmm. not your underbelly. Mm-hmm. It's on top, uh, all around you. And so uh, in this third segment... Uh, we want to. I just want to probe. What are the depths of your cosmic curiosity? Because it's not every day someone hang, hangs out with an astrophysicist, and I want people to fully exploit that occasion if they want to. So yeah. So listen, I hear a lot from people um, about this thing that Einstein referenced: spooky action at a distance. And then I know that this is kind of a controversial concept, and I just can't wrap my head around it. I, I'm I'm really. Uh, a science neophyte around this stuff. And I, I really have a hard time taking science and math into my brain. But, um, you know, I know it has to do with theoretical physics and kind of some some uh, experiment or some happening in one place affecting something in some other place. And I'm just wondering what that means. What that, I always hear that and I just don't, I tried to okay. watch a YouTube video on it. I couldn't wrap my head around <laughs> yeah. it. I love the way you said that. Uh, all right, it, it predates Einstein. Let's go back to Isaac Newton. So when Isaac Newton first wrote down his equations of gravity, and in these equations, there's a mass term of one object and a mass term of another. You multiply them together, and you divide by the distance between them 
squared. And when you do that, that's the force of gravity between these two objects. So these two objects at a distance from each other feel each other's presence. Hmm. But he knew there's nothing in space. There's no cable connecting them. There are no, there's no pulleys. Mm -hmm. It's empty. Mm -hmm. And this deeply disturbed Isaac Newton. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's got to be some way that they're physically connecting to each other. Mm -hmm. But until we discover that way, I know my equations work. Mm -hmm. So I'm sticking with my equations. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the equations work. The orbit of the moon around the Earth, Earth around the sun, Jupiter's moons around Jupiter that you could see with a telescope. It was knocking him out of the park. But he was uncomfortable that you could have action at a distance. Hmm. And thus became this quest for, is there something else going on in space that enables these two objects to know about each other? And then we ended up exploring electromagnetism. There's another thing, action at a distance. Okay, magnet, there's a magnetic, the concept of field had to be introduced, Mm -hmm. right? And that was Faraday in the 19th century. Faraday introduced the concept as a magnetic field. And if we're going to talk about fields, we have a gravitational field, if you want to talk that way. And it's this zone out there where things can happen. But there's still the mystery of what's going on across, what is gapping that distance? Mm. And it took modern field theory to come to an understanding of it. So before I get to that, let's get the gravity solved. So Einstein figured out that gravity is not action at a distance. Gravity is a distortion of the fabric of space and time. And I, as a mass, am distorting space around me. And if you want to move in my space, you're going to follow that path. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Einstein is quoted as saying that mass tells space how to curve. Space tells matter how to move. Mm. So it kind of sidestepped the action at a distance question because you're just sliding up and down like, like a skateboarder on a, on, a, on, a, on a varied terrain going up and down in the hole and out of the hole. That, that's what things are doing. When things are in orbit, they're just sort of falling on this curved fabric of space-time. Mm. So that kind of buys us some time on this, all right? Maybe that's all we have to do to think about gravity. Hmm. With electromagnetism, we're not talking about spooky action at a distance. It's a photon is exchanged between two particles, and that creates the force. Hmm. So photons carry the force of electricity and magnetism. That's modern field theory describing that. And so we're done there. So now, you folded that together with this other thing, which is, wait a minute, there's something way over here and something's happening and it's not gravity and it's not electromagnetism, there's something else. That, I think, was part of your question. Mm-hmm. So, but there's another sort of modern version of that that reveals itself in quantum physics. And it's called quantum entanglement. Mm-hmm. And so quantum entanglement is, is where you can have two particles. You know, you heard that particles can be wave, you know, matter can be wave and particles at the same time. You might have heard about that, the wave-particle duality. Well, okay, if you create a particle, you can create a pair of particles that are entangled with each other where they have complementary properties. Hmm. All right, now, separate the particles. You don't know what 
properties one of them has until you measure it. Mm -hmm. You just don't know. But the moment you measure it, you instantly know the, the properties of the other particle because they're complementary. Mm. Okay, what one is, the other is sort of the complementary variant on that. So if you separate these particles and don't measure them, just separate them, put them at great distance, then the instant you measure this particle, the other particle shows up with the complementary properties. And so the wave is occupying that entire space. And they instantly know about each other. That is the crowning achievement of action at a distance. Mm. In fact, this information communicates, this happens faster than the speed of light. It happens instantaneously. So sci-fi people are asking, is there, can you make a warp drive that'll do this instantaneously and send something, information, instantly? So there's a whole frontier of sci-fi people thinking about this phenomenon. Well, that's what I was going to say, so, Nick. That's the first thing that popped into my head is like, wait, so these two, I don't want to say elements, but these two things, uh, particles, particles that have yeah. been split apart are, can connect with each other, commun not communicate like language, but there, there's a, a tension between them. You know, is, 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 is faster than light space travel a possibility? You know, other than this quantum entanglement phenomenon, um, and there are a few other, quant there's quantum tunneling, uh, which is also an instantaneous thing. But other than that, moving physical objects through space faster than the speed of light, there is no known exception to it and highly tested laws of physics that say it's impossible. Mm. So we're kind of stuck with that. You know, what you need, you need warp drives. You have to bend space, mm -hmm. and then you cheat by cutting across shortcuts through mm. it or tunneling through wormholes. You can do it. You're not going to accomplish it by physically moving faster than light through space. Got it. So, mm. so there you have it. That's good. Now I'm thinking of you in, in Galaxy Quest. I, I can't get <laughs> that image of you. That was my first That's, role in a movie that was played. And, and you're supporting alien playing the Thermian, actor role. Lank the Thermian. Thir Thermian, yeah. yeah, yeah but, um, good, and so I, another question I had for you is like, what, is, what was your most transcendent experience in astrophysics or astronomy that was filled with the most wonder? Like what discovery or galaxy or uh, experiment did you kind of witness that kind of made you gasp and uh, really stretched the limits of your, of your wonder? Yeah, I, I like that. And I think wonder is an undervalued feature of what it is to be a scientist or to be anyone on a frontier where you have one foot in what is known and the other foot in what is yet to be discovered. Mm. Many people fear that. They have to have an answer. They can't bask in the ignorance of the yet to be known. Mm. And that's unfortunate because the wonder is the, to gaze upon something and say, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And, I, and let me find out. Rather than I have no idea what I'm looking at, I'm afraid, let me run back into the cave. Mm. Right? Mm. These are two wholly different reactions. So for me, uh, for parts of my PhD thesis, it involved obtaining data at, on mountaintops. And I went to mountaintops in the country of Chile, where those telescopes have access to the southern hemisphere skies, where the center of the galaxy passes overhead in the middle of their winter, which is the middle of our summer. Hmm. So I would be there on the mountaintop, 
And this was a pilgrimage because I have to travel all these thousands of miles into the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Then you have to flip your biorhythms to go nocturnal sure. because your night becomes your day. Mm -hmm. All right? And so, so then there's this sort of physiological transformation. Then you have to regain your intellectual chops because you're about to get data that's going to plug into research that you already have in progress. Okay, so then... The sun sets. There's a cloud layer that happens to roll in. Well, that cloud layer is below you because you're on a mountaintop. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now the cloud layer completely surrounds you. Mm. And the moon is out just a little bit. So as it gets dark, there's still a little bit of light. I can see the tops of the clouds in moonlight. And I'm this island of rock with telescope domes that has ascended above this cloud layer. Mm. And there's nothing else in the world. Nothing in your sight line to the horizon, mm. except you on this mountaintop above the clouds. So it's me on Earth, but really above Earth, looking out to the universe, ready to point my telescope to the center of the galaxy, waiting for photons that have been traveling for 30,000 years emanating from the middle of the galaxy mm. to land on my detector. And so, and I'm there alone. This is a very solid, well, there's a, a technician in another room, but it, 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 it is a, a moment when you are communing with the cosmos. Mm. And uh, for me, that is the closest thing I've had to a religious spiritual moment. Mm. Not religious in the sense of, oh, there are gods up there. No, no, just a spiritual moment where I'm not, in this moment, I'm not thinking of the universe. I'm feeling it. Mm. That's beautiful. And that's happened to me many times on the mountaintop. Mm. Wow, that's that's a great story. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I feel like those moments of transcendence is what we're really going for, you know, as as us human beings on this planet, like that's kind and of what makes some people who've never had it might not know that that is something to go for. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. that's another. That's true. That's another. That's a, it's a direction ahead. But I've had that same yeah. experience at a Radiohead concert. You know. Oh, okay. I, I did not expect that's you to say. That. Uh, I've had that. <laughs> okay, same that's experience, great. Uh, <clears throat> you know, camping and being in the wilderness and seeing the stars. Um, mm -hmm. I've had that same experience. The birth of my son. Um, but those moments. Okay, of, wait. Does your son know that you've analogized his birth to a Radiohead concert? He Just, would be have thrilled. You disclosed this. He's a huge Radiohead fan. He's sixteen. Okay. He's already seen them in concert twice. He would be thrilled. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, dude, that's. An, I love that question, and thanks for 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 uh, empowering me to relive that moment, which was very special for me. Dude, we got to get you back on at another time. I don't think we plumbed all of the nerd space that we're capable of reaching. Happy to come but back But Rain, Rain Wilson, thank you for being on Star Talk. Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, you're very welcome. All right. This has been Star Talk. Let's call it the Rain Wilson edition. Uh, I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. Keep looking up.